The following may contain inappropriate language. All opinions expressed by the host and guests do not reflect the views of any company or service. This is Radio Havana, Cuba. This is Radio Pyongyang of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. This is Moscow. again, November 18th, Wednesday, 2009, for a little crazy talk. Won't you join me? Won't you? Won't you? That's right, it's me, I'm Doc Normal, and for some reason my, oh, my camera is a little bit wrong, but that's okay. I've got, uh, I've got one over here too. Hey guys, how you doing? So tonight, a very, 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 very special edition of Crazy Talk. I'd uh, got a great guest, but first, we're here. We're doing the uh, we're doing the big journalism thing. So as you see, I'm. Uh, let me just uh, fade that out for you. I've got my, uh, I've got my pipe. Hmm. Cherrywood vanilla. This is like the 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 tobacco of a good reporter, and of course, uh, no good reporter would be complete without his VSOP cognac. That's right. So I'm Doc Normal. Uh, I am as credentialed as Dr. Pepper. So look me up. This bit has gone on too long. Tonight, it's hot, steamy journalism. We're going to talk it out. We're going to solve the problems. We're going to bring in the new journalism. And uh, I like to, I like to, I like to introduce my guest. I, I call him the young MC of journalism. Yes, the MC of journo himself. Mr. Abraham Hyatt. Abraham, are you with me? I am. You doing okay? I'm doing good. All right. I don't know what I'm the MC. What, what, what am I emceeing? You know, I think I think you need a rap. I actually literally think, <laughs> you know, when you do the journalism camps or the we make the media or these sorts of things, you need to really come in with your posse. You know, that's right. And uh, and and you know. Have like the boombox going. I'm going to wear gold chains yeah. to, uh, to the next conference. Yo, yo, young journo, yo. You know what I mean? You think we could hook that up? I th- Somehow. Somehow. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see that happen. So how you been? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah? All right. I'm, uh, yeah, doing journalism stuff. How, doing- how have you been? I'm I'm doing okay. I'm I'm right here. I'm dressed. I'm dressed for journalism. I'm wait. I, I need a typewriter. I need a typewriter. Give me the leads. No, the Glenn Gary leads. No, that's something else. That's salesman. That's not journalism. 
So I think you were on uh, the sources. Or- That's right, the sources. Give me the sources. The Glenn Gary sources. Or no, I don't know. I, mean, I think it's like a Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy thing, right? What was the name of that movie? Something. Yeah. I, don't know. I I miss that about journalism, you know? Every time I see Cornelius, that's that's I think of that, right? You know, I think of that, you know, the newsroom and the he, I know, he's kind of the old school yeah. fedora wearing kind of guy. Yeah, man. He he's he he he's got the look. He he walks the walk. So he's involved with yeah. the with you with all of this, all of the new journalism and new media, right? Yeah, he's sort of uh he's not directly involved with what's happening this weekend that we make the the media conference. But in in some ways he is because he's the only guy in town who's really exploring the the idea of of what it would take to operate a nonprofit news organization in Portland, um, which is what this conference is about this weekend. Um, so Cornelius has kind of got the hands-on um, approach that he's it's this sort of symbiotic relationship he has with the Portland Media Lab and then the newspaper that he's the publisher which is called the Portland the Portland Sentinel you you were breaking up yeah. there that's I just wanted to finish oh, I'm sorry um so you know and so we make the media is happening uh this weekend uh on Saturday uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about We Make the Media, WeMakeTheMedia.org, and uh, we've just got so much to talk about. Uh, by the way, I want to warn the affiliates, we may be going over. <laughs> no one gets that. Everyone's like 20 years old going, what did you mean by that? We're on the web, dude. <laughs> so tell us about WeMakeTheMedia.org. Well, I'll give the quick rundown, and then we can get into... Uh, more of it uh, after that. It's the brainchild of a guy named Ron Buell, who's one of the co-founders of uh, Willamette Week. He and Richard Meeker and Mark Zussman and I think another guy, Willamette Week back in the 70s, and uh, Ron took off in the 80s. I think he left the paper then. He's got a background doing um, television, um, doing a bunch of different stuff, but he is a, he's very, very passionate about journalism and is very concerned about what will happen, what is happening to journalism as sort of the traditional outlets for news cut back um, and shrink and whatever else happens to them. So what's the problem statement? What's that? What's the problem statement here? Just to catch everybody up on the same stage, on the same page. His problem statement is actually quite severe. He believes that the that there has already been a catastrophic loss in what he would call, or what a lot of us would call, enterprise journalism, which is the kind of journalism where you go out and you actually find a story. You don't just wait for cars to wreck on the freeway and then go report on that. You go and you you go to city hall and you you know crunch the numbers and you see what the story beneath the story is. Uh, and and he he feels that that is completely missing from most of the major news outlets in Oregon at this point in time. Uh, so he got together a bunch of people and and invited me um, to help organize a day where a journalists from all over Oregon and, and Washington and wherever else 
could sit down and say, well, what if we tried to have a nonprofit news organization that picked up the slack, that started covering some of this stuff um, it's, that, that we're not seeing as much of anymore? So is that um, is that does that problem statement cover all of of news and journal, all the different forums? I mean, does that cover? I, I, obviously, we've seen what's happening with newspapers, right? The business model failing. Okay, and right. we've been seeing that unfolding, uh, you know, in earnest this whole year, right? We saw it starting last year, um, and uh, you know that's a given. But as far as true investigative, you made a statement about you know essentially investigative journalism, uh, going out and finding and getting the story. Um, and does that apply also to uh, to television and and maybe also radio? I think that Ron would say yes, categorically. I think it's a slightly more um, convoluted answer than, or it's not quite as simple as that. Uh, I think that when you look at, for instance, on television, television is a beast in and of itself. Um, they have a formula that they that they find that it works. Um, you know, it it can never uh, equate with what a you know a two thousand word New Yorker piece would be. You know, they're two different animals completely. Um, and same with radio. Public radio um, is, I think, you know, one of the, you know, clearly one of the significant, you know, news sources or sources of news on the radio if you're looking for, again, that sort of more enterprise journalism. Um, but has it completely disappeared from Oregon? I, I don't think so. I think that there are definitely holes um, where, you know, I mean, I, I think OPB is fantastic. I, I love the work that they do, you know, and they themselves are, are trying to expand uh, to do a, a, a better job of covering the entire state and not simply the, you know, pop, the, the, pop, the areas with dense population. Um, TV, I mean, you know, there's that's a whole different beast. Uh, the Oregonian, I, I still think, does some great um, stories, um, but they're cutting back, drastic cutbacks. Um, you, you think all of, any of the organizers would agree it's what is the most concern, with the, the largest concern is what happens next year and the year after that. Because um, even, you know, in, an, in a, with the finance, which a, a revenue uh, model like OPB has, which is based on individuals, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, a slow economy, you know, they can have, they can want to expand, you know, as much as they and they can, as, as they would want to, and they can have the the ability to do quality journalism. But if they're seeing declining revenue numbers, they don't have that may not be available. And so finding something else to fill that gap is the is the idea. Okay, so uh, my assessment: uh, TV is chasing ambulances, essentially. Uh, radio is the traffic report, traffic and weather. I, I don't, I don't know that there's anything that exists, at least in commercial radio. Uh, right. OPB being a separate, separate entity. I don't, I don't lump OPB in that, or N, OPB or NPR nationally in in that. Um, and newspapers are, as you said, cutting back. The Oregonian's been relatively healthier than than others, but um, they're now severely cutting back as well. 
And now all of these entities, television, at least television and uh, and uh, print, are moving into this buzzword, which is starting to turn my stomach, called hyperlocal. <laughs> so, hyperlocal has been the next big thing for the last five years, I think. It's a paradigm um, shift, my friend. Yeah, and, and when we find that paradise... Um, <clears throat> I think there there are examples out there of people who are doing what we would classically think of as a new form of not a new form of journalism, but but what this sort of West Seattle blog I think is an example that gets used by a lot of people. It's a couple um, they just um, they're they're doing well enough that I believe earlier this year they hired another person to work with them. So it's a three person shop. It's tiny. Um, but they are covering the heck out of West Seattle. Um, they're doing a really, really good job of that as a standalone journalism entity. But when most people talk about hyperlocal, and you hear everybody from TV stations to the New York Times tried a hyperlocal experiment, um, the Washington Post has tried a hyperlocal experiment, there's nothing really. It's like you're saying, what does, what does it even mean at this point in time? The idea is that you focus your coverage on a very small geographic area. Um, well, I imagine but, like the, the neighborhood blogs where, you know, some woman's blogging about, you know, I, I saw an ambulance on my, around the corner, on my street corner. I mean, you know, it, it, on the one hand, there's actually news in your neighborhood that you, you want to get, but it, it's almost like, uh, to me, hyperlocal is... Becoming that, uh, you know, the, for lack of a better term, the back fence, right? The gossip, uh, neighborhood gossip back fence. And back fence, PDX, tomorrow night, along with Ignite, by the way. <laughs> Got to shout out to that. Um, you know, and, and I've seen, I have seen the experiments in this on Oregon Live. <coughs> Excuse me. And, you know, they get these neighborhood bloggers and they blog for a while and then they peter out you learn a few interesting things about your neighborhood and then it all peters out uh neighborhood notes seems to be a pretty good established um ongoing uh uh you know uh website um rpdx is kind of i guess kind of a hybrid of hyperlocal it's not necessarily split up by neighborhood but it's kind of like you know what's happening in Portland that you're not seeing in print or in the media. Um, so we have various examples of blogs that are that are like hyperlocal. I mean, why? How does print media or how does uh, Fisher, for example, which owns KTU here in uh, in Portland, how do they get into this game, and how do they become successful? Now I heard you were on OPB. Uh, what was it? Uh, yesterday, yeah, on um, on a Think Out Loud show, not my favorite show, by the way. It's it's all right, it's all right. I just I have some some. It gets a little OPB, you know what I mean? I want a little <laughs> dancing girls and a little snaz, you know. Step it up, guys. <laughs> Crack a joke once in a while. Wear a funny hat like the doc does, you know. That's the anyway. Um, so uh, uh, and. Uh, you you had the guy on from KATU, and they asked about the Fisher 
uh, KATU uh, hyper-local blogs that they were bringing down here in Portland. And he did say, well, they're doing okay as far as being, quote, profitable. You know, at least they have advertising on the site, right? You know, the neighborhood beauty parlor or... I mean, he didn't say that, but that's what I've seen on these sites. You know, you got the, the beauty parlor down the street, the, the, the brew pub over here, you know. So there's some income coming in. But where's that going, Abraham? I mean, you, you've been, you have been, had a lot of thought around this. What, where does this hyper-local thing, is this just a buzz term? Is this just a phase? And, you know, is this real news or is this just what we've been doing all along, which is this kind of neighborhood blogging? I think it's it is a phase, and I think it's people grasping at straws right now. Of oh, you know, here's something that maybe we can make a few bucks on. You know, it's this model for journalism has been around forever. I mean, the Southeast Examiner or the Portland Sentinel, like I mentioned, is in North Portland and part of Northeast. Um, you know, these are publications that have covered you know small geographic areas for a long time and have found a business model out of you know very focused. Journalism allows you to have very focused advertising. Um, you know, when advertisers really feel like they can really um, identify exactly who they're reaching, you know, that's a strong uh, model for advertising. That's why any niche publication um, does as well as it does, whether it's a business publication or whether it's, you know, you, you look across the board, whatever community or whatever neighborhood you're looking at. So it's not surprising that some of these larger entities are thinking, you know, I mean, I forget every, every block was a um, was a hyperlocal platform that I'm maybe I could totally butchering this. I believe it was a, a night funded project. It was funded by uh, this, you know, it's sort of like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation of Journalism, where they fund these like, you know, these really cool projects. Well, it just got bought out for a couple million dollars. Um, you know, and everybody goes, "Oh, see, I told you so." Hyperlocal is the next big thing, <laughs> but where, you know, what what is it going to, what is quote unquote hyperlocal going to look like next year? And is it really hyperlocal when somebody like Fisher is doing it and calling it hyperlocal, and when somebody like Ken Aaron, who runs Neighborhood Notes, is doing it? You know, I mean, is that are they really doing? And, the and they've same been doing thing? it for is that for really a while. Hyperlocal. And they've been doing it for a yeah, while yeah. over their neighborhood notes. And when yeah. Fisher moved in, my understanding is when Fisher moved in, this was from jur- Journalism Camp, right? Uh, Fisher moved in up in the Seattle area, and there were some established uh, uh, blogs. I can't, they don't come to mind, but there are some neighborhood blogs, and I, I don't remember w- which ones they were. You probably can fill me in on that. Um, we had a few panelists there. Um, right. You know, and it's kind of, uh, it, I, I, I guess I don't understand the competition and the drive for this type of news. So I do understand the data, right? And I do understand the desire, my desire, to. I mean, we have the Cell would be here. I'm here in Selwood, mm-hmm. right? And the Cell would be has been around as an independent paper for a hundred years. Actually, I think they celebrated their hundred year last last year, something like that. A long time, and. Uh, you know, I know the editor of the cell would be. It's a great, great old local paper, and you can actually pick it up and get your hyper local news of what's going on in Selwood. And they have a website. They update the website with new information. Um, that's a great example. There are other examples as well. Uh, Cornelius, 
might be a good example of that, right? With his, um, what's the name of his St. John's uh, paper? Uh, no, he's the um, Portland Sentinel. Oh, Portland, Portland and then Sentinel. The right. St. John, St. John Review? I can't remember what the St. Yeah. John paper is. So, but again, even more hyper-local, you know? Right, but, you know, I guess I, I see everyone swarming for competition in this area, and I just don't get what it's going to look like in a year or so. I mean, definitely that data is going to be out there, and it's going to be on the web, right? But, uh, you know, you can get your, uh, you know, you can get your hyper-local, and it's varying degrees of hyper-local information, right? Do you want to know about what's happening um, in the club scene in Portland? That's hyper-local information. Right. Right? Uh, right. You know, weird, quirky, you know, talk show hosts that have daily morning shows on the web that always, you know, uncover different hyper-local stories in Portland, things you wouldn't normally hear or read about in the paper. Um is this just a mass of data, or I just don't see the major? See, the problem is I don't see the major entities and major news outlets and publishers sticking around for this. It just seems too difficult. It's too fragmented. And you know what? I, in my opinion, the business model is fragmented because you're going out and chasing hyperlocal advertising along with that hyperlocal news. You need to match up the advertisers, which isn't, you know, this giant brand. It's the brand down the street with that piece of news that's relevant and that matches with that brand, which is which is your neighborhood, your neighborhood uh, uh, business and your neighborhood news. And I just don't I don't think the business is equipped for that. Correct me if I'm wrong. The reason that hyperlo the existing hyperlocal works the Selwood Bees, the Southeast Examiners work is because advertisers see the exact response that the community has to the money that they're putting into this publication. If you talk to those advertisers, they say, I know my advertising works because I watch people read that. I watch people read those papers in coffee shops. I know my advertising works because the coupons I put in there, people cut out and they bring in. And so it creates this advertising base for a publication that's really strong, but it's a, it's a it's a uh, it's an advertising base that's based on relationships. It's based on a very close relationship between the community and the advertisers, and then the publication in the right. middle. If you have somebody large, um, especially someone who's not already established on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis, who comes in and tries to sort of recreate that. Um, I just don't see them having the same success as the as the as the little ones who are out there now, you know. Uh, you know, I so would peace been around for a hundred years. You can't tell me that in the last hundred years somebody else has not tried, you know, to come and and try what they're doing in that area. Um, <laughs> you know, well, so, this, this new wave of hyperlocal can't be the first time that this has been tried. Right. The so, reason that they work is they are, you know, in touch with the community. So the model there is Robert Pamplin, Dr. Robert Pamplin Jr., by the way, um, uh, it, it went out and it, the, the, he owned, right. they own the Selwood B, that's the Tribune, the Tribune Media uh, Group. 
They own the Selwood B. They own several other. Uh, I don't know if they Lake Oswego Review, if that's still around. They own that. They yep. they own several others, other papers. So they went Good around, bridge. yeah, a, a while back and bought up several of those local papers. Um, and you know. It's a good little business, it seems to be. I mean, there's a lot of advertising in the cell would be, and it's and it's it's local. So I want to step back from this. I I, I guess I guess this is um, the future of this is TBD. Um, right. Other than I mean, I, I think we're in agreement. It seems like this information will always flow and it will always be there. I think the one question I have is how do people make money? In other words, how do the content creators make money? My opinion is that they don't. That the content creators ultimately are your neighbor, you know, a local bo- blogger, and maybe maybe down the road a local podcaster uh, in his basement doing a weekly <laughs> show um, or something, um, you know. And and they're like kind of like volunteers, you know. Maybe maybe they get a cut of the pie, you know, a little something here and there. But they're 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 hobbyist journalists, so to speak. Citizen journalists being hobbyist journalists. It's not their 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 profession. It's not their main uh, main gig, so to speak. Do you agree with that? What? I I, I guess it depends on and it's I see that you know, I think you're making the same delineation as me. It depends on the kind of news. You know, if you if you were to open like ten years, go back ten years, open up the local section of the Oregonian and flip to the very back of it. And there's all the sort of like aggregate news from neighborhoods that we sort of talk about now as hyper-local. It's what happened at the school board meeting, and it's where the fire call was, and it's all this little stuff, um, you know. And, and so now we're talking about, okay, what if we took that out of an established – we're taking that out of the, the sort of traditional media you know, platform, and we're trying to make it work as a standalone entity called hyper-local news. I think it can make m- money if there is – if if there is what has always been valuable in news, and that's analysis, you know. So maybe it's a one-person shop who's doing this neighborhood blog. You know, most of what they do is just information. It's not even journalism. It's just putting up information that's happening. But if they can create something through a some, if they can add value in some way, then I think they can make money. But that's about as far as I know, and I, it's completely unknown after that. So what's what's wrong with um, what's wrong with uh, and and we're talking about um, this local news. What's wrong with having citizen journalism? I mean, sure, you've got some people on the payroll, right? You've got the editor. Uh, you've you know various folks that 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 know how to put together the the, the content, whether it be in a paper or on the web. I would think in the future it's going to be on the web. Um, for sure, uh, we can get into printing papers later. But uh, what's wrong with with saying, look, you know, a lot of our reporters are just part time, you know, essentially bloggers, in, uh, interested folks. And by the way, they're experts in what they're writing about because they're 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 writing about their their, their interests. I, you know, I I worked on a as a citizen. As a participant in my community, I worked on a citizen committee for light rail that is part of the metro process and the government process to to essentially green light light rail projects. And I worked on, on that for a year. 
to uh, to uh, get uh, federal funding for the light rail project for inner southeast Portland. I the first thing I did when I joined that committee is I started a, a blog site, and I said this is how I want to communicate, and I didn't post that often. But I did post, and when there was a critical issue that the neighborhood needed to know about, I posted it as a blog with Google Maps with a very thorough description of what was going on. Well, my blog post ended up in the story in The Cell Would Be because it's like, here's the guy who's doing this. Here's what's going on. Here's his reporting. You know, uh, uh, this this is the local news this is what's affecting the neighborhood i don't see a problem with that i don't think you need you know a whole bunch of j school grads running around to do that kind of reporting you don't but what you have to have is if you don't pay people it's very hard to get people to work dependably for you i totally mm-hmm. agree with you about creating a network of citizen journalists or whatever you want to call them who are contributors, but one of the hardest things in the world is if you're not paying people, after a while they burn out, and and it's hard to get them to, to keep covering school board meetings or whatever it is. The other issue is is ensuring a level of quality. When you're paying people, you can you know ex- have certain levels of expectations. And I'm not trying to like insinuate like oh only paid journalists are good journalists. No, that's not true. I mean, look at Rick and Silicon Florist. I mean, Rick is a quote-unquote citizen journalist. He's also one of the best tech reporters, you know, on the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, I mean, I'm not, you know, but it's really difficult if you don't have some kind of revenue infrastructure to get dependably what you want, I think. So uh, I want to read a comment from the chat room right now from... Betsy Wim, Betsy Richter, uh, of RPDX. And her comment was, you have to be able to incentivize. And, you know, she knows this best. Um, You know, that's an all-volunteer organization. Um, You know, it's it's one of those things where you throw mixers and, you know, you you buy some food and some drinks for folks who are writing. Um, There's ways to build community out of it. And, and, uh, you know, in, in these bad economic times, these difficult economic times, it's, it's harder for me to say this now. But when people are gainfully employed and, oh, as a sideline, I, I just like to write. I took a journalism class in high school once. I loved it. I worked on the, the school paper, you know, and, and I love it. And I'm, I'm okay with that, you know. And maybe I'd get a little something, you know, a little mixer. Maybe I get a little kickback. It's not going to be much. Right, so I think I think Betsy hit the nail on the head. It's some sort of incentivizing of your folks. I mean, that doesn't maybe that doesn't necessarily need to be monetary. Now that doesn't mean the people who are running the site and who are making that happen. I mean, it's got to it's got to sustain itself, right? You do need the advertising. You you got to pay for the um, bandwidth costs. You know the 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 web hosting costs. You know all those good things. The the time that people put in. Maybe you have a full time administrative assistant. I don't know. Um, but you know, I, I I agree with you, and I think a lot of what your focus is, um, 
with like we make the media and 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 the discussions in media is to actually how is this viable and people are actually eating right especially people who have just lost their jobs in journalism how do they go eat you know how do they support themselves well and it's how do we pay for the good stuff i mean good news costs money to make you know good a good quality podcast, you know, a good video production, you know, takes time and money. You know, it's not just putting, making sure journalists get paid. It's, you know, it's actually the money it takes to produce this stuff. Um, and I think that that's, you know, I, I don't know. When, I mean, that's the whole point of this weekend and this we make the media thing is, okay, what if we looked at it from just the perspective of doing it as a nonprofit? You know, what, what are the weaknesses? What are the, the advantages? You know, what are some other models around the country where people are finding success with this? You know, Ron uh, and, the, and the rest of the, the organizers, their vision is definitely for a metro-centric organization. Can you, can um, you describe that a little bit? Describe the kind of the mission. It's up on the website, but give the folks just a, like a couple sentences on what that mission is the metro metro desk or something i guess kind of well th- yeah they're it they're keeping it kind of broad um you know they have you know morgan holm from opb is involved um so there's a they're they're looking at it not just from a print um specific uh way they they're also looking at uh you know what if we brought in some type of um you know, a, a you know a television um, or vi- or a video bro- uh, broadcast type of element to this. Um, the actual output is sort of being left to uh, the audience or the participants at the conference to try and determine. But the main idea is to say, how do you fund a news organization that covers? Um, a variety of topics in the Portland area, and I want to. I want to. I want to jump in here and be clear. We've kind of moved on from the hyper local local dead horse right now. Uh, it, it, we're talking real investigative journalism. We're talking the the stuff that we that folks when they say journalism, you know, it, it is it is it, it's the it's the investigative government. It's the investigative corporate. It's it's real the real stuff, the hard news, right? I mean, this is what we're right. talking about. The stuff right. that we seem to have kind of moved away from, or the business model has moved away from, so to speak, and we can get into that in a minute. Yeah. And there's there's different ways of doing that. Would this be a nonprofit that focused specifically on investigative-only topics? There's a nonprofit out of Seattle, um, Investigate West, um, run by a woman named Rita... I can't think of Rita's last name. Hubbard? No, I can't think of her last name. Uh, at, that just launched or is in the process of launching. They're, they do just investigative stories. You know, or is it something like The Voice of San Diego um, that covers San Diego itself, but covers mainly um, government and civic issues? Uh, or would it be a, a nonprofit that focused only on I don't know education, or is it you know is it topic specific? Uh, and the the organizers are trying to keep a fairly hands off approach to this and say that we as a journalism community can come up with better answers over the course of this day than we can just as the organizers. Uh, so and there's a uh, I mean I mean this might not be the right name, but there's a is it Pro Pacifica or something? <coughs> 
ProPublica, yeah. Pro, I'm sorry, yeah, Pacifica, and uh, got that all mixed up, but ProPublica, correct? Yeah, they're a national, um, they're sort of like the big, the granddaddy of all the uh, uh, nonprofit news organizations. They've raised millions and millions of dollars to work on investigative only stories. Um, Where are they raising the money? They are raising the 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 money um, from foundations and from donors, uh, from big donors. Uh, another one is in Texas that just launched uh, last month, or actually earlier this month. Sorry, called the Texas Tribune. Um, they raised three million dollars uh, to launch. Half of that was from one donor. Um, they're they're going to be covering. Uh, uh, news, I think, for all the entire state of Texas, or maybe not. It may just be in the capital. I don't, or Dallas. I'm not really sure where, where their scope is. Um, but the question is, is you, you've got all these nonprofits, and they're all raising money and finding ways to launch. But where are they going to be one year from now? Can they? Is that a sustainable way of raising money? Um, and that's one of the things that I'm going to be talking about on a panel this weekend is sort of like the nuts and bolts business model of this, you know. Right. There's a lot of different revenue models out there. You know, nonprofit is one of them. Um, how sure we can we can put we can all put together some money and, and get these things launched, but you know, the Texas Tribune, half of their money comes from one person. Is that sustainable? Maybe it is. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it though. So um, yeah, let me jump in here, and and uh, 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 this is this is the 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 problem I see with this, and this is what I call the PBS problem, right? Um, and I notice that we make the media has this nonprofit bent to it, but that also means that there's money coming in, right? There's grants, there's 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 there's, there's these this these big bundles of money that come in, and in 2009, I would argue, Abraham, that there's no difference between that and advertising. So I believe that we've seen examples, and I believe we've seen examples in public broadcasting where large entities or large entities that are backed by corporations, corporate interests, um, uh, industries drop money on non-quote non-profit operations and influence the news. And I think, quite frankly, I'm, I'm just going to lay it out here. I think you're kidding yourselves if you think that a non-profit organization is going to be um, independent as a for-profit station or network. I think it's, at the end of the day, all of the same. I mean, yeah, there's there's cleaner money. Look, there's cleaner money than you know. There, there's very very variances of clean money versus dirty money. But you know, I spent all those years on PBS watching this this uh, show sponsored by Archer Daniels Midland Company. Right, right. right. Come on, man. You know. Well, do do I, do I, I think I'm going to see like big negative investigative reporting on? Uh, <laughs> Big uh, uh, agriculture? Hell no. How about big pharma? Right? When I come in and 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 it's like this is sponsored by you know, name your big pharma. You know, Glaxo, Smith, Klein, Baxter, you name it. 
Do you think I'm going to get any negative you. reporting about the swine flu vaccine on that one? No. I, I agree with you in part. I, what I think is – what I'll say is that I think you're right only until uh, – the, the news organizations will, will – just like they do in a for-profit situation, they will have a, uh, a strong wall between the pay side and the journalism side or they won't. And it's going to be, as with any other publication, really clear whether they're pulling that off or not. I think it's actually going to be harder. more imperative if you and if you're in a nonprofit situation and you're asking for do- donors from individuals to it's going to be much more imperative to have that wall be very transparent so that you can go to 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 donors and say hey look look at how transparent we are in the way we do business you know look at how well we separate our pay you know our our pay side from our journalism side because you know, a big newspaper right now can say that, but you don't really know, you know, whereas if right. you're a nonprofit and you're and you've got your hand out to individual donors, heck, yeah, you've got to be able to prove that. So I think it will exist. And I but I also completely agree with you that I think there's going to be plenty of sources who or, or, or news sources who, who are doing exactly what you say and say, you know, hey, I just got a two million dollar check from, you know, ADM supermarket to the world. You know, I'm. You know, I'm not covering you know anything to deal with agriculture ever again. Big agra, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and uh, you know, where did NPR just get in the last couple of years? Their big, their huge endowment was from the was it the Ray Kroc family? Was that his name? The the guy McDonald's guy. I mean, I don't know if that means anything, right? It's like, yeah. hamburgers are good. You know, ooh, look, Cookie Monster is now Hamburger Monster. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, but, uh, you know, I mean, but, you know, when you're at that level, when you're at that level, it's pretty tough to go bite the hand that feeds you, you know, and then, and then, absolutely, let's be honest, all the commercial news outlets are owned by, you know, NBC is still owned by GE, you know, and and we had that classic war, and I remember it well, right? Sixty Minutes, CBS, the Tiffany Network, right. going after GE, right, and the whole yeah. F sixteen fiasco, right? Yeah, and then yeah. NBC trying to figure out—I can't remember what their retort was, but it was something. They went after something that was an interest of the right. The, I, I know what you're talking you about. Yeah, what, I forget what the comeback was, though. But they definitely followed yeah. up. Yeah, so NBC never did anything about you know GE and military <laughs> contracts, but boy, they they hammered on investigative reports about something else. And you know what we end up with? You know what we end up with? Some idiot, you know, finding, entrapping, you know, internet predators or something you know just or cheaters or something i don't know they're like that one guy i mean the, the shows that have just gone into the toilet like you know i saw you walking into that porn shop and i know what you did you know and you're like what is this news right go after the arms dealers for god's sakes you know well i think i think one of the things that is going to be true no matter what the platform is the revenue platform is that I think that for so many uh, whatever these new journalism entities are going to be that we're going to find they're going to take up the place of some of the old or augment some of the old is 
we because we will have so much more um, such a close relationship with them as viewers or users or readers we're going to be able to demand a lot more transparency than we ever did before um, going in as an individual to, to you know a large newspaper the Oregonian and saying well I demand to see how transparent your relationship is with advertisers um, you know you would have been laughed at you know, to be able to go into somebody like ProPublica and say, hey, I want to give you money. You need to show me how you're using this money. So, you know, do you know a little bit about their it. model? Because, I mean, they're, they're one of the, you know, they're leading. They're on the bleeding edge of this. Uh, tell me about their model. I mean, are, are, is that all user-generated sponsorships or is that, or are they taking big money, big foundation money? They're taking big foundation money, and then what they're doing is that they offer their content to um, uh, that uh, large news news organizations can then buy their content. So they do a huge investigation on whatever, and then they go to the New York Times, and New York Times says, "Yeah, we want to buy, you know, we want to use that." Um, that's similar with what other models are doing. If you look at a nonprofit like. Um, Wow. Uh, like the Voice of San Diego, they have this uh, sort of a more multifaceted approach where they're nonprofit, so they can't sell advertising. So they've got these, you know, tiny little ads that they're still getting. They can't sell advertising like a normal news organization could. Let me say that. So they're getting individual subscriptions. They're getting donors. They're trying to sell um, tiny little ads on the site that sort of, you know, don't cross the legal line. Um, they. You know, I, I I am really going to be curious as time goes on, and we get to look at their financial records. Yeah. Um. What what exactly? How exactly they're they're doing it? Because they're they're actually doing it. They're, there's no there's no doubt that they're doing it. Um. But as they fly, you know, as they file their 990s, you know, which is the tax form that that's a public record. Um. It'll be interesting to see how they and other other entities are making it work. So yeah, you know me, Abraham, and you you know you know. Oops, not Court and Fat Boy. Uh, you you know that uh, Mike's a touchy feely nice guy, but Doc Normal is quite a cynic <laughs> and quite a bastard. I just don't see this, man. I really don't. I mean, I'm I'm old enough and crotchety enough to just say this this is crap. I mean, I, as far as. I don't. I just. See. I think it'll work. I, I don't think no, we're no, 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 no. I mean, let I, me finish I it. I, said, I think I said this on yeah. on OPB that 2009 is like the first year where we're really seeing some innovation happening. We're really seeing some interesting stuff out there. 2010, some of these things are just going to burn out in the worst possible way. You know, a few of them are going to succeed. We're going to see people building on the lessons of 2009. And I think at the end of 2010, the end of next year, year from now, I think your cynicism is going to be, you're going to be right in, in many instances. I, t I, can, I totally agree with you. So, but so I think let, there's going to be some Let me lay out the scenario. Let me lay out the scenario. So we're talking about ProPublica, and I'm not going after ProPublica. I think, I think that's a very interesting model, and I was excited to see it. So I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm the cynic optimist right i i want these things right. to succeed right. right but you just laid out a model where it's like man you know so here i am i'm a guy i'm an entity back to corporate entity 
and I dump money on ProPublica, and then and then somehow through my influence, I influence the news that they sell back to the majors, right? I mean, what? I mean, you know, it, it's it, it's it's the you know economic hitman model. It's like, yeah, you know, this is easy. These guys are hungry. They have to survive. Right. And journalism but, is hungry right now. Everyone's got to survive. You know, people have been willing to do a lot of crazy shit in the name of journalism. Right. I mean, I again, I'm 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 I'm, I'm playing the cynic the, here. The, the only counter I would have to that is if 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 an, uh, somebody with the stature that ProPublica has is not providing decent journalism that looks like they're pulling punches or if it looks like they're taking sides, they're going to go out of business that fast because their whole basis is to be able to say to somebody like the New York Times, we are as trustworthy as your own reporters. We are as trustworthy as somebody in your own newsroom. Uh, and so does that possibility that you're talking about exist? Absolutely. But I think that if someone of the stature or a ProPublica pulled that, I think it would kill them instantly. Now, if we're talking about some local nonprofit, you know, um, that's totally true. But but I think that has always existed, you know. I mean, somebody who, who, who walks into a newspaper and says, your back page, your full page, back page ad, I'll buy, you know, 12 months of those back page ads. You know, that's the same thing as being a massive donor to a nonprofit news organization. You know, but you don't really see the you know, the Oregonian or Willamette Week. You know, you know, bending their coverage because of whatever, you know, full page ad, you know, contract they've gotten, you know, from from whoever, from cell companies or whatever it is. So I, I, I think see, I'm playing the optimist. No, no, no. I and you're playing it well. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. uh, it, no, I am. I am a little bit more optimistic than you. Thank God. <laughs> and actually, the chat room, <laughs> the chat room's rather optimistic as well. And I, and I think I the chat room is with you making the point that you know if the product sucks, if the integrity isn't there people will walk away and maybe that is the difference maybe you know maybe that's the difference in the web media rather than uh what we've seen in big journalism and print and broadcast where it's a one-way communication you know maybe maybe that's it maybe with the i hate using the term right uh, social media crowdsource you know <laughs> is that people call bullshit on stuff pretty quickly right and if and if there's smoke, there's fire. And uh, if one of these news organizations doesn't have their shit together, uh, they'll they'll be called on it on the web uh, by the subscribers. You know, so maybe maybe you're on to something. Um, you know, maybe that's that's the uh, that's the um, you know how 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 this new medium works. I hope so. I really do hope so, uh, because we we need journalism, man. We need good yeah. journalism. But I, I, you know, I, I just feel like there's this glass ceiling. You know, we've lost all the Vietnam era reporting. We lost that long ago, right? 
Yeah. I, well, we've. I mean, I mean guys were actually no in the troops going, this make, is some crap. Right. You and, know? you know, newspapers don't have the profit margins that you. I mean, no, they can't Newspapers that. used to have like a 20% profit margin. You know what you can do with that kind of money? You can open bureaus around the world. You can have investigative teams that spend a year and a half working on a single project. You know, when you no longer have that profit margin anymore, when you no longer have a revenue that, or you know, a, a revenue base that supports a lot newsroom, it just disappears. And so the question is, I mean, yeah, the no question we all know this is, what do we, what do we do now? Right. You know? Right. And and so you're, be- I mean, the whole thing is, you guys are looking at this nonprofit, and I guess my cynicism suggests that well you know it, it could be non-profit but it's still in I, I lost you. you you got me i got you now right okay. now uh sorry about that you know it's this non-profit thing and and you're you, you know you're you're trying to uh, trying to fund it that way uh but there is profit there is advertisers uh and people have to eat so i, I want to move into the whole thing about journalists themselves you know these people who have trained as journalists and you know are essentially getting laid off and where do these guys go where do they eat i mean would you encourage kids to go into journalism school or would you encourage them to go into a different study and then study journalism on the side as say an an expert reporter I may not be the ver- the best person for that. I did not go to journalism school. I didn't go to college. Uh, but how did you get I, into it? Somebody, um, I taught myself how to freelance. Wow. Um, I really wanted to be a, uh, a a journalist, and I was not was off doing all sorts of other things. And so I figured out how to freelance and started selling some stories and uh, was able to parlay that into an actual writing gig and. Moved on from there. There's nothing like so, real experience. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I was actually just down two weekends ago at the University of Oregon. The SPJ had their conference down there. And the day after that, there was a small unconference about what J school should be teaching. Um, and I used to be really cynical about journalism schools. I used to think that whatever you do, don't get a journalism degree. Get a degree in something that you're interested in, and then, you know, if you like business, study business, and then be a business reporter. But you know, you'll at least have a background, understanding how business works. But I think there's some J schools out there that are really trying hard right now to. You can never a university can never keep pace with technology. You know, with the, what's happening actually right now, your curriculum can never do that completely. Right. right. No curriculum. But somebody, yeah. But the University of Oregon is actually <clears throat> trying really hard to create. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, the incoming freshman class right now, when you lead, when you're done being a freshman, you understand video. You understand the, the basics of audio. You understand print, web. You know, way better than a lot of journalists right now working in Oregon do. Um, so they're actually starting to turn out. They will be turning out four years from now some some really talented, or, or not necessarily talented, but some some journalists who are very technically aware. And I think that there's some real um, 
some value to that. And this is a comment that's been made by not by me, many, many people about treating journalism school almost as a trade school. Yeah. Um, where that you yeah. leave there, not with like some un- greater understanding of the, this holy business of journalism, but more of like a you have got these skills, this skill set that you can go out and do anything with. Um, and so, if there's somebody, if somebody was a freshman in, in, or was about to go, I was 18 years old and wanted to go to J school, I would actually say that that may not be a bad thing to do right now. Okay, so uh, uh, I agree with you as far as the younger generation. I mean. Uh, you can't tell me that these kids, and I can call them kids now because I'm old enough. Um, <laughs> I'm rather old, actually. Um, you know, they're going to have the video skills. They're going to have the audio skills. They're going to have the web multimedia skills. Uh, whether they're being taught that in school or just picking that up in their spare time, they're going to have that. They're going to have the blogging skills. They're going to they're gonna know that stuff inside and out. Um, and if they go into J school without it, their their peers will go, "Hey, dude, you got to get up on this. Get up on the WordPress. Get up on the plugins. Get up on the you know, the 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 encoding media and Final Cut Pro and all that crap." Right? I mean, that's a given. Those are all just kind of like the the tools. That's not learning journalism, so to speak, right? My fear with the younger generation is that they'll come out with these mad skills, mad multimedia skills, like, and be able to put this on the web. Um, and by that time, broadcast will be dead anyway, so who cares? But they won't have the, the depth. They won't have the sense to... Pick and choose. Uh, I mean, look, what's a guy, you know, what's some kid going to do out of college, out of J school? Come out of J school, it's like, yeah, I can do stuff. I can do videos on the web. I can do audio on the web. I can blog. I can, you know, create WordPress plugins. You name it, right? I have student loans to pay off. Oh, big corporation Z? Hey, how's it going? You want to hire me? Fresh out of school as a new college graduate? And pump your corporate message. Here I am. You know, I'll either be in internal corporate communications or external com- corporate communications. Companies themselves, because the tool there's no barriers to entry because the tools are there. There's just no barriers to entry to any company with resources. Now have the tools to go out and create their own message, their own journalism, their own press, spinning their own story that makes them look better you know and that's where the money's at so i mean who's to say that all these kids they're not they're just going to get snatched up into corporate america they're not going to be like investigative journalists they're not going to be like the 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 people that we uh we uh you know we admire from the past from history well maybe yes <laughs> yes discuss <and> <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Abraham. I, you know, I love you. <laughs> I really do. No, I, 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 know, I, I, I admire I you. Really I truly a, a, admire the, what you do. I, this is what, one thing I'll say. The journalism schools, I think, for a long time, and there will be, I'll probably get nasty emails over this. Have really sucked at training people well or preparing people well for the work field. I mean, 
you know, for the past couple of years, I was the managing editor at Oregon Business Magazine. And when, you know, we would look at, you know, for interns coming in, you know, I mean, having a journalism background got you nowhere. You know, that doesn't even get you in the door. There was just nothing that doesn't, there's very little that, that I would see in that on your resume. It was where did you get your experience? Where, what newsroom did you work in? You know, because until somebody's actually worked into in a newsroom right. and learned news sense and you know learned the value of just picking up a phone and calling someone as part of a reporting you know for a story, they don't know anything. And so journalists coming out of of students coming out of J schools today, tomorrow, for the next couple of years, they don't know that either. Um, so I'm not quite as worried about that. I'm more worried about where's that newsroom for them to work in. You're right. You know, P PR has always existed as an alternative to working in, you know, newsprint or radio or wherever, and it pays always paid better. Uh, so that has always been an outlet for the people who didn't want the lousy pay of, of journalism. Oh yeah. But where's the alternative now? You know, are, there's no. Where, where are the newsrooms for the kids who really want to be doing investigative stuff? Where are there? Where is that outlet for them? And is that what you're trying? Is that your goal for We Make the Media? Is that what you're trying to do with the with the news lab? You know, is that is that where you're trying to go with that? Yeah, and not just for students. Clearly, for the for everything. You know, it's for. Um, yeah, it's so all of us can have jobs. It's this, you know, to save this. I, I mean, it, it's really hard when people talk about saving. I was really glad when we started that you said define what you mean when you say saving something. What are you saving? And I think that's a really important distinction to make. Too often when we say, oh, we're, we're trying to save journalism, what does that mean? You know, what are you saving? Um, but in, there is at the bottom of it a sense that we do need to save the, some of the fundamentals of this profession so that we can continue to create quality enterprise journalism. You know, so we're not just chasing ambulances, so that we're actually out there, you know, digging deep um, on, you know, and, and I'm not trying to romanticize journalism, but I, I, you know, we, all of us agree that there is a fundamental um, threat um, and our, has, has already occurred a loss in, in what we would consider to be quality journalism. So, you know, I don't know what's going to come out of Saturday. I don't know what the, you know, the, the you know, no big answers will come out of it. But I think there's going to be, it'll be, it's, um, yeah, I like you've the got idea a lot of you got a lot of things on the docket there to find big answers, though. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I've read the website. <laughs> You are trying to but solve I, world, I, I, world hunger. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that they're trying to solve world hunger by putting a lot of smart people in a room and saying, where should we start? If the organizers were saying, at the end of the day, we will have a nonprofit entity, uh, I would think that they were fools. But I, they're not saying that. They're saying, okay, we all agree that this is a problem. Okay, let's all split off into groups, which is their separate sessions, you guys are going to look at different revenue ideas. You're going to, you guys are going to look at different technical aspects. Um, and we're all going to come back together at the end and say, okay, what did we learn? And would everyone who's interested in taking this forward please raise your hand? Uh, and so it's, it really is a, a, 
an exploration is really is starting a conversation, as cheesy as that may sound. Um, it's not saying we can solve world hunger, but it is saying by the time we leave this day, everybody who's got a good idea of the direction we want to move in, let's let's all get together uh, next week or the week after that and keep keep this this conversation moving. Yeah. So in the meantime, in the meantime, the castle is burning. And Marie Antoinette is being led up to the guillotine. Uh, <laughs> no, look, look. I, I think she's I already lost her head. I, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I. Well, no. This, but no, no. The, let, and this let, isn't for. Everybody. Let me jump in here. You know, let me say this. This is a very Portland way of dealing this. Yeah, and sometimes Portland ways of dealing with things aren't quite the right way, or Portland needs to grow some, you know, manly, you know, parts. <laughs> Um, but Some what I'm chutzpah. saying, exactly, what I'm saying here is that um, while we discuss the media and sit around and, and visualize, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, trust me, I'm I, very supportive of what, what everything that's going on, but people are actually doing stuff, doing stuff on the web now as we speak. There are there are people who are like, yeah, that's fine, throwing up their hands and going, here's here's my vision, right? And this comes back to something that we t- we um, kind of discovered in journalism camp, and uh, I know you latched on this a bit, and I was I was quite taken by that. Is the whole idea of bringing together people on the web, you know, the bloggers, the technologists, the people on the web. These are the people who who are like, oh, there's a problem there. You know what? I'm going to go code that and fix that in a weekend. I'm going to go make that happen on the web next week, right? And journalism and news kind of moving in a slower kind of pace or, well, we need to figure this out or whatever. And I know one of your goals of Journalism Camp, which was an outgrowth of Bar Camp Portland, right? Right. Was to bring those two folks together. To kind of kickstart that, to say, look, you see these guys over here? They're the guys who are like, what's the problem statement? Okay, well, let's try this, this, and this. And I know that I told you, I said, you know, in the web, we have a willing willingness right. to fail. Yeah. Right. You're looking at a willingness to fail right here, right now. I'm not a journalist. I'm not, you know, I'm just like, I, I'm actually doing this Napod Pomo thing because it's a fun little thing to podcast once a day, right? Um, and it, it, it fails, It whatever. I don't care. It's an experiment. On the web, you, you, you press publish on your blog, you fire up the webcam, you go. It's not going to be perfect. And the one thing I'm concerned with is that I had a lot of hope locally because we've got such a strong tech scene, such a strong web scene. And I know that you have been involved in both sides, in journalism and the web scene. You're like one of those guys who was like right in between. I have great respect for you. Um, Thanks. um, And what concerns me is that... We're not getting enough of the web folks, the doers, the people who are like, I just threw up my hands and started doing this. It's like journalists, 
people who want to get in. Bring those people in. I mean, we have one example we can talk about, and I know you you brought it up on the OPB thing, is Steve Woodward, right? Right. Who's like yeah. a well-seasoned reporter, journalist, yeah. who went off and said, I can see that, I mean, really a smart guy, who said, you know what, I'm going to build what my vision and and you know I told him privately I said you're one of the guys to do it because you have you can go to the web guys and say this is what journalism is you don't understand this but this is what it is um, and you can help us along and you can build it and he's out there building it right right and that's the one concern I have is that I think it takes you know, it takes a village, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, it's a community, and I, right? And it's like we the, have in Portland the resources at our fingertips. We have just the talent pool. It's huge, right? On the web, in journalism. We still need to bring these people properly together and make that happen. And it frustrates me a little bit when I see things happening and I'm like, well, that's still these guys not talking to these guys. I want to see more action. I want to see more experiments myself. And th- this is me talking, right? This is me as Doc Normal saying, this is just what I want to see. I want to see someone step up and go, look, we're going to do this. We're going to launch this. And it might fail. We'll see. The, Let's give it a shot. One of the main things that I, one of the like the personal things that I learned from putting on that conference, from putting on Digital Journalism Camp, was that the spectrum of journalists, traditional journalists, was far broader than I thought. I really thought, naively, that put on this journalism conference and at least 50% of the journalists out there would be interested in that type of learning. I found that is that only a fraction of the journalists in Oregon are, are interested in being near the edge looking for new stuff. I had the publisher of a major newspaper in the Limate Valley tell me straight out, I don't think my staff, my editorial staff, would be interested in what your conference is doing. Wow. I personally was floored by that. Stat just could not believe that someone, right. not because I thought that, oh, what I was doing was wonderful, but because he was saying those topics are not something that, that I want my staff to learn about. Uh, and this conference, this the We Make the Media conference, I think is important because it speaks to the people who are on the more traditional side, that who, who don't have the ability, you know, and, I'm, and I don't mean to sound like, oh, you know, I have, I'm enlightened, you know, oh, the people who went to this conference, you know, the you know, digital journalism camp were enlightened somehow. But that is a further out on the spectrum. And I think that this conference this weekend is a place for people who fall in the middle of the spectrum, who fall into the more traditional, safer side of the spectrum, to sit down and say, well, what? here's a safe place for us to talk about this. Um, and and I think that that's really, that's, I, I give, I find that that's more, my, um, six months ago, I wouldn't have thought this was important as it is, as I do today. Um, I, and I think it's a really good thing. Um, 
that people are doing that. And, I, and it's not a place that I actually can find myself in to do very well because I find myself in exactly where you're talking about. I'm, I'm right with you. You know, it's like, the, why aren't we doing stuff right now? Why aren't we getting our hands dirty? You know, why aren't we making a mess and failing and, and trying new stuff? You know, I think that the social hour is as an attempt to sort of highlight mm -hmm. some of the people who are trying right. to do that. You know, the social hour that I'm trying to do with the, you know, in conjunction with the Society of Professional Journalists. Um, in fact, Steve is going to be our our presenter for the December, the first week in December. Um, he's going to demo Nozzle uh, for us. Um at the social hour, which I think will be pretty cool, um, but I, I think you know the you know the there's what you know thirty people that have showed up at the last two social hours, and I think I don't see that number really growing that much. You know, I think that's how many people are out there right now who really believe that we can be doing shit right now to make a difference. Is that is that what's happening? I mean. Um you know we have the uh we have the example uh of um so there was this guy and he was a tech guy and a blogger and uh he would go have beers on a friday night i know you know this story and people would start getting yeah. up and going god you know i got to figure out my blog my wordpress my this and that and he said you yeah, well i go have beers on friday night so why don't you come down and uh and I'll talk to you, and we'll we'll, we'll work on your, your blogging issues. That event became, or that became Beer and Block, which is now right. in many, many cities. Yeah. Is that what you see? Uh, to me, uh, that's, I, I think journalists need that mixer. And I don't mean the Society of Professional Journalists. I mean the Society of Professional Journalists and this weird guy on the web, Doc Normal, who knows how to produce video on the web, or uh, people who know how to to put in WordPress, uh, uh, um, you know, plugins and things like that. That's always been my hope: is to bring those communities together and say, "Look, you're the journalist. I'd like to learn from you about journalism. I'm curious about that. I'd really like to learn about things you do because I don't understand this. But can I help you facilitate?" getting your project launched on the web sooner rather than later. Is that where that mixer is trending, or is that something else? I mean, again, I know you're a bear and blog guy, too, so you understand yeah. this. That's, what, that's why I'm asking you. The, I started it for, well, for two reasons. One of them is close to what you're talking about. The other reason is journalists are supposed to be communicators, and I got really pissed off and frustrated the fact that there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in the journalism community and nobody knows about it you know a lot of people not even a lot of people some people have heard about Steve's project but there's other stuff out there that's interesting you know that that nobody's heard of and that is really interesting stuff uh, and like what, so uh, I said okay tell us what you're talking about cuz I, I know there's a few there's a couple people I follow like on Twitter and stuff who are uh, journalists or journalist students, and there are there are some interesting things that are going on there. I mean, can you give us like an example or something? Well, one of them I thought was the Portlander. 
Um, the Portlander right. is an example where we all knew about it, but how, how are they making money? How are they making this work? You know, so they, I knew journalists who were, who were ear said, you know, oh, they're just, they're, you know, they're just making money recycling, you know, other people's content. They're just aggregating content. You know, and so that was one where I thought, hey, I just want to find out more about what they do and how they tick. You know, we had them as the last presenter. And I have to say, it was exactly what, I think I tweeted this, that it was exactly what I wanted the social hour to be. It was a room full of journalists, about 30 different people, who were acting like journalists, who were drilling with some very smart questions. This guy, who is, you know, is, 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 is they're very successful now at what they do in creating this pseudo-journalism product. Um, we all walked out of that, all of us from that meeting, feeling like, wow, we really have a sense of what they're doing. He had just gotten some funding and was very wishy-washy in a lot of his answers because of that. He didn't feel like he could just But reading between the lines, it was very clear sort of how the project was working and how they were going to scale. Um, they just walked away with a six-figure deal, um, angel investor deal. Um, and and I, I don't know. I mean, it was it sort of gave me a warm little fuzzy feeling of watching everybody in the room really go after him and say, you know, how are you, how is this working? How are you making money when other projects are not making money? Um, anyways, this is a long rambling description, um, but, the, but that I thought was a perfect example of what the social hour should be: pulling somebody out of the community that's doing something interesting and finding out more about it. So uh, you know, and 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 they presented uh, a, a real web play because I think they're right. They're an aggregator, right? They're the they're the whole. Right. And and nothing against the Portlander. I think I think they they have some interesting things going on there. But um, you know, they're 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 in that position of of Google and Rupert Murdoch, right? Of the whole, right. you know, aggregation is the key. You know, I don't need to create the content. Right. I need, just need to find a, almost like an old school, late '90s uh, portal, right? If I bring right. everyone to my portal, I'm I'm good to go. It's it's almost like that that uh, that meme once again arising at the end of the decade. So, um, but you know, I, I agree with you. It's good for journalists to see that. And experience that, and try to understand what the landscape is that we're dealing with. Um, you know, I I I want to I want to wrap this up. I mean, there's a whole discussion that I think you could you and I could have later about crowdsourcing and and the dig oh, model, yeah. right? You know, yeah, and uh, and yeah. Uh, and the uh, and the Google News model of how many uh, uh, news posts are there on this particular subject. But I think that's a, a long and involved uh, conversation that we can have at a later date, and I, I hope you and I I can have that. Uh, I would love to, yeah. That's a huge, yeah, like you're saying, it's a huge, huge thing. But I, I did warn the affiliates we were going over, and uh, and uh, and they're now... They're now uh, Quite frankly, they're they're complaining about their Archer Daniels Midland advertising right now, uh, Halliburton. <laughs> so uh, we should close this up, and I should let you go. What's that? 
No, no, I was just joking. Okay. Um, yeah, if only. If only I could get a sponsor like that. I like big right. genetic agriculture. Those family farms, <laughs> organic, that's bullshit. I think genetically altered <laughs> food by big companies is important, and it's healthy for your family. All right, was I editorializing there? I don't know. Abraham, I'm, I'm going to need to employ you as my journalist guy to help me be, I don't know, objective. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't listen to you for objectivity. <laughs> yeah. Abraham, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I have to say I've, I've admired you from afar. Uh, when you launched Journalism Camp, we had you on Strange Up Live. Um, you know, I think you're one of these guys that that's in between, that, that understands the web, understands journalism. Uh, we need more people like you to figure this all out for us. Um, you know, I'm a big fan. Well, what can I say? You. I'm 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 a I, big fan of yours. That's well. I'm. Thank you. I'm and and I really am. The the idea of of how do we how do we make stuff happen is we're, we you know we need to find more ways of having that discussion in Portland. Um, you know, in the journalism community, because there are people out there who really want to do it. There are people who are hungry. You know, there's not as many as I once thought, but they definitely exist. Um, so, I well, mean, if I, let's if I do can it. Leave journalists with one thought: it's going to be the people who do it who make it happen who are going to be successful. And yeah. I'm going to lean on you more and more, Abraham, because you know. There's one thing I'm a, I'm a doer. I'm all about getting it out you there are. and doing it and let's fail. If we fail, that we throw up our hands and we move on, right? Yeah. Yeah. So let's make it happen. All right. Thank you, Abraham. Uh good luck on we make the media.org and uh we'll talk again, you and I. Okay. Um I just want to say, hey, good night everybody. It's not a good finish for me. Uh, just because I'm, I'm a geek for the subject, and and I do care about journalism. Um, I do want to see good journalism happen on the web. I think it is the fourth estate. Um, I think if our country loses its journalistic integrity, you know. Who's uh, guarding the hen house? The foxes? And I'll leave you with that. Good night, everybody.